Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Simon Pollard. Simon, welcome to Focus on Why. Thank you. Good morning. It's lovely morning. The birds are singing. We're having a great chat and I'm looking forward to sharing what it is you do and why you do it with everybody. So am I. So let's just dive in. What is it you do, Simon? I design gardens and I take people out into our weird, wonderful countryside for the most part, although it has just been suggested I should start doing some walks in town. And I also run talks as well. I suppose that's a bit basic and that's a bit brief. I should give you a little bit more as to what that actually entails. So the basic premise, the umbrella that completely overwhelms everything that I do is to get people outside. Outside, I believe quite firmly we are better, happier people. And that for me, I think it's part of our DNA. I think it's part of our makeup. It's part of the way that we in this world were put together. Personally, it even goes right the way back to when I was a child um, and a child that was big enough to obviously go out unsupervised. But if, if the world wasn't the way that I thought the world should be for whatever reason, I would take off out into the countryside back in the days before mobile phones when we were trusted and, and the world was a child's place, I guess. And I would stay out there and I'd work out my issues and my problems until such time as I felt good enough, well enough, sorted enough to go back into the world and sort them out. So for me, it goes right back to, to childhood. Lost that a little bit in my late teens and 20s. But that fuels where I go. Now, you then have to say, okay, if I, I'm kind of somewhat driven to get this message back out into the world, how do I do it? And in the first case, I try and get people to come out on walks because that's a great way to just break the ice, if you like. So we have what we call five senses walks and we take people out and we actually get them to actively use our five senses, which if you think about it, are the way that we experience the world around us. They're the way that we interact. They're, they're what determines where, for want of a better word, our soul might be. So it's getting people out and getting them to not just look, but actually see. Not just listen, but actually hear. Uh, and the same, obviously, then for, for smell, for taste, and for touch. And we look at all the senses separately because when you put them back together, the sum is way greater than the parts that you combine them in, in initially. And we tend to finish off with what I call a 10-minute challenge. And that, for me, is the most interesting section, the interesting part, because people come in and you tell them that, 
they're going to, you're going to ask them to sit or stand, but generally sit for 10 minutes and just let the world be what it is. See what you see, shut your eyes if you want to, because then the other senses kind of stand up, listen, smell, hear, and you see people go 10 minutes with no smartphone, with no conversation. What am I going to do? How am I going to do? And you just say, you'll be cool. You'll be all right. And you get them to sit down. And you then give them the 10 minutes. Uh, it would be great to be longer, but probably most people would struggle any longer. And then afterwards, you talk about what you've done. And they tell you what they've heard or what they saw. Because 10 minutes is enough to stop you being a threat to anything that's in the woods. And then at the end of the event, we say to people, what did you enjoy? What are you going to take away? And I said, 10 minutes was fantastic. The 10 minutes was the best bit. Birds came so close. I even had a monkey pee walk over my foot and I wasn't afraid. I saw a kestrel just above my head or a fox came within four or five meters of me. Wow, fantastic. And it's funny, quite often, as we know in life, period, those things that scare us, if we actually stand up and face them, generally give us the biggest rewards. So that's that. If People then say, actually, the outdoor thing is pretty cool. We would then say to them, why don't you come to one of our talks <laughs> when the world will let us have talks again? And we talk about how you can actually bring the big world into your own garden. We call that one the four keys. It kind of goes with five senses, four keys. And the four keys you unlock to bring life into your own garden. A vibrant place is the most amazingly calming, restorative, regenerative place you can have. You know, just enjoying the life that is around us. You know, the best way to feel alive is to have as much life doing its thing and much energy as you can around you. And so we do four keys talks. I mean, just to nail it down, things need to be able to get in, they need to have something to eat, they need to have something to drink, and they need to have somewhere to live, which might be somewhere to drink as well. So that kind of like takes that one on board. And if we really, really infuse them, then they just might want to redesign the whole garden as well. And that's, that's really exciting. That's to take somebody, having infused somebody for that life and that passion, to then give them the chance to have that in their own place and the means and the mechanism to do that, have an input, have a choice, have a discussion. The whole process should be a discussion. If we can do that, then I think we kind of nailed it a little bit. One thing I want to pick up on is right at the beginning of uh, you said that you try to get people outdoors. Why do people resist going outdoors? That for me has to be totally supposition. I can't understand. I struggle to understand why people don't necessarily want to go out. So because our bodies remember, our brains may not, our brains may have forgotten, and they may have allowed ourselves to become wrapped up in work, stress, families, East Enders, Dead Enders, Constipation Street, and all the rest of those things that envelop us, or, or worries about whatever, worry about yesterday, that you can do nothing about, worry about tomorrow, which hasn't happened yet, may well keep people outside. The need to be plugged into an Xbox, 
to talk to somebody that you're not in the room with but you can't see. It could be any one of those things. But I would say to anybody, our bodies remember, when you go outside, you take a breath of fresh air and we do it unconsciously. If you watch people coming out of shops, out of restaurants, they'll stand there and they'll wait for each other and they'll just pull the coat over their shoulders and they'll take a breath of air. Now, whether you realize it or not, that breath of air, most of the time, is invigorating in itself. You know, it goes back to that innate thing. So I think it's because people isolate themselves and quite often we isolate our senses. Maybe it's deadening our senses, maybe it's dulling our senses. And that is where we're choosing to use our senses in a different way. You know, you watch teenagers, they've got a big cap on with a hood over and headphones on and quite often dark glasses. So they can't see most of the world. They can't hear any of it. They can't touch most of it. And it kind of feels a bit to me, a bit like a half-life. I mean, one of the things I write about in my book was sound. Following on from that, I love loud, noisy, heavy, aggressive rock music in the right place. I was working with my son on a, on a site in January and he put on some Bring Me The Horizon. Amazing band, love them to pieces, but I don't want to hear them outside in January when the Robins are singing. I love them indoors, I love them at a gig or wherever else, it's, place, it's, it's timing and it's places. I don't know why people go out, but I suspect it's because we've allowed ourselves to become overwhelmed with everything else that modern life has placed on us and the fact that we've forgotten to live in the now. And dare I say it, I think that's half the reason that a large number of people in the world drink, take drugs, do whatever else. And when you actually manage to step away from all of that noise and all of that chatter, and actually look at what is outside and is around us all the time, whether it's rain, whether it's wind, and just enjoy and celebrate the world for what it is and celebrate the fact that we're not here for very long. Why wouldn't you want to go outside and, and enjoy everything that our world has to offer? Do I know why people don't go outside? I can guess but I don't know. Maybe it's because they haven't let themselves experience or damage. Be happy. Maybe. So on a guided walk, you're helping people to experience the nature, experience what's around them, connect with the DNA. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It is just, again, even in a group of eight, nine, ten people, you've actually got 10 sets of eyes. And even I, in my flow, yapping away in my style, will miss things. You know, we were, the last walk we were on last week, we were at West Malling and uh, we're on the edge of the wood and I'm talking about smell and scent and the difference on a really hot day between outside in the field and in the cover and the shade of the woods. And one of our guests says, Simon, stop, look, what's that? And there's a buzzard coming through with 
something in its feet. Might have been a young crow, I don't know, but there's two crows mobbing the life out of it. And again, I'd imagine half the world would not have seen that if they hadn't been looking or listening and knowing that a buzzard sounds a bit similar to a seagull. If Because that was the comment, but that sounds like a seagull. Yes, it is. But if you really listen, you don't need to be an expert, know a little bit, you know that it isn't. So it's, it's, it's taking, actually having an awareness and just trying to instill that awareness is, is what being outside to a large extent is about. And if you've got it outside, you can use it anywhere. Uh, my business coach runs a pretty successful networking organization. And one of the things he talks about is aggressive listening. Now, most of the world is much better at transmitting than they are at receiving. And hearing, by its very nature, is receiving. I'm still rubbish at aggressive listening and networking, but when I'm outside, I've got one ear on my surroundings the entire time. So anything happens, I tend to cut off the person I'm talking to and, and investigate whatever it is. And if I can get that across to people, whether that's seeing, or hearing, or even, and coming out of lockdown, I've had a couple of experiences walking along pathways where the scent of honeysuckle has stopped me in my tracks. You know, it's not a case of, oh, there's a smell. It's a case of, there's a smell, this is amazing. What is it? You know, the sense of smell kicks off the eyes, which then look. It's the sound, the song of a chaffinch. And if you don't know, the chaffinch is the one that sounds like a 70s car horn, kind of goes, do -de 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 And as soon as you clock that, you suddenly realize that the chaffinches are everywhere. But when you hear it, you think chaffinch, and you start looking for it. So it's being aware of those senses, but then realizing what triggers what off. And it, again, it's just trying to get that awareness to people and I'll, I think I'm pretty good at that, um, going by the feedback that's coming back to me. But it still goes back to the last question, is it's how, finding how we can actually reach the people who need us the most, who actually want us the least. There's one. Well, point. that was going to be my question, is that how do people, how do people sort of know that you, you exist if they're not looking for you? You have to hope the word of mouth is the one that nails that one because in a direct line, I can't talk to people who won't listen. They won't hear me. All I can do is keep talking to the people who will listen and then hope that they will talk to people who might not listen, but they might listen because their friend has said this bloke's really good. So it's, it's, it has to be word of mouth. It has to be social media. It has to be networking because, face it, why does anybody do anything? Because quite often somebody else said it was good. I can't see any other way of getting to the people who won't listen than by trying to get to the people that they will listen to. And if the chain of command is long enough, then eventually we'll get that around there. Um, who knows? Maybe TV megastardom awaits uh, and then there'll be an even bigger audience. But right now, it's as much engagement and conversation as I can get to people. 
I'm even in a really positive networking group like I'm in at the moment with 40 people in there. I've got five or six people in there who are actively shouting about what I do, who have come out, not only come out on one walk, but we've now got, we've run three walks over the last two weeks and we've got three people who come out twice already. Uh, another lady's coming out again on Sunday and she's 60 miles away from the last walk. So we're getting that out. We're, we are, I'm over delivering to the best of my ability every time I go out because all I'm interested in is people leaving and going, that was amazing. And that's what's happening. So that's all I can do is keep being as brilliant as I possibly can be, get the message across as well as I can do, choosing places that are varied and different as far as possible in different locations around the county at the moment. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to get to go to some other places, maybe travel the world a little bit, but that's the only means I had to me is engagement, engagement, sorry, blah, 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 speak English, engagement on as many levels as, as I can, and then hope other people will either come or, or do my PR job for me. And have you always been involved in educating people about nature? I've always been involved in educating people, one way or the other. I kind of left, left college and worked in secondary schools in a supportive capacity, went to teacher training, got into primary school teaching, thoroughly loved the teaching side of the job, uh, decided that I needed to move on, went and did some postgraduate research into um, ecology and started field teaching with the RSPB. Stayed with the RSPB until they decided to effectively close the education department, which is another subject all by itself. Uh, set up my own business and that kind of kiboshed the postgraduate research based on the fact that it paid me money. And then through a series of evolutions, if you like, ended up where I am now um, with a very definite, very clear message to get out there. I suppose got into business doing anything and everything and have narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down. And if I narrow down any further, I would be retired, I think. But, um, you know, life's where I want it. I'm loving what I'm doing. It's exciting. It's stimulating. It's challenging from time to time. But it's the message that I want. And, I mean, bottom line, the designs are the designs, and that's fantastic. But I make part of my living by taking people out into the countryside turning them on and enthusiasm, infusing them with the amazing world we have around us. And okay, I'm not going to be a millionaire come out of it, but that's one hell of a way to make a living. And that's brilliant. You know, I don't have Sunday evening, oh my God, tomorrow's Monday feeling, probably because I've been working all day Sunday. You know, it's, we're not here for very long, you know, and our only responsibility is to make sure that as long as it's not at anybody else's expense, we have a damn good time. There was a, a little trick a business, my business coach did with us on a course a while ago. I think we spoke about it before. And he asked us to write down the number 82 on a piece of paper. We did that. He said, write your age underneath it. We did that. 
to take your age away from 82, and that gives you a number. You times that by 365, that gives you a bigger number. He then said, 82 is the average age of a human being these days, and the number you've got at the end is the number of days you've got left. How many of them do you want to spend miserable? And for me, every time things are difficult or challenging, uh, my first port of call is to remember that, that that number is never, ever big enough. And I don't want to waste a minute of this amazing gift that we have got for whatever reason, whatever amazing stroke of luck means that each individual is on this planet and alive and sentient and thinking and experiencing why, why would you ever, ever want to spend any of your time doing anything that wasn't fulfilling? I, I can't get my head around that, com that, that context, you know? If it annoys you, sort it out. If you want to do it, plan it, work it out. If it's difficult, what can I do to better this, to better myself, to use this to make me a better person, to make a person who can achieve better things? What, what else is there? I just don't understand another... I understand that some people don't get that, but what else is there? Would you want to waste a minute? No, I'm with you on that. I, and I'm, I'm 100% not wasting any minutes in, in my life either. So understanding that when people come to you and they have to really slow down, they switch off, they have that moment of stillness. Do you see a sort of a physical change in their in their bodies when they're sat there? Do you know, I'm going to have to be completely honest and say I'm not focused on, on getting them to engage in the activities. Uh, apart from the fact that at the end of it, people are generally bouncing around with the fact they've had a really, really good time. And, you know, we say to people, are you happy to do a video? When they start with a video testimonial at the end, maybe I should get them to do it at the beginning. 70% of the people ask, yeah, absolutely, why not? But I've not actually watch people's shoulders drop um i've not watched their posture change maybe i should do do more of that all i know is is that the people that come on the walks as i say we've got 40 odd percent of people at the moment coming back for a second go that's amazing we must be getting it right because of the positivity that is around the walks it's around what we do and you know that they're going to go and talk about it to other people so Hopefully, they are understanding and experiencing a peace and a calm. Hopefully, not switch off totally. But uh, I've not really scientifically got into that yet. I was just wondering, because you were saying about the bodies hadn't forgotten, I just wondered whether you were saying that this from a physical perspective, what, what it was that you sort of saw with that. It's funny. One of the most important senses that we have, I believe, is, is touch. And I think it's a vastly huge part of the human condition. It's one of the cruelest things about the pandemic we've just been through. You know, we hug, we kiss, we shake hands. You know, you meet, a, as a bloke, you meet a bloke, you walk up, you put your hand out and you shake hands. Ladies that I meet, 
generally you'll have a kind of half hug if you know them well. You might even have a, a peck on the cheek or whatever. It's what we do. The people that we love when we see them, we hug them. It's quintessential to being human. Now, I firmly believe that touching everything is just as stimulating. We say to people on the walks, you don't have to hug the trees, but you do have to touch them. And some people are extremely reluctant to even actually put their hand on a tree trunk. I don't know what they're expecting, but if you take the bark of a pine tree, which, for example, which is extremely rough, it's really ridged, it's a bit like a dried out uh, wadi canal or whatever, and it, if, you rub, if you rubbed your hand across it, it would not be that entirely pleasant. But if you just touch it, it's actually soft-ish. It's a tree trunk. And it's warm. It's not cold. You know, you could almost say, yeah, I could take this stuff and wrap myself in it as a blanket. But until you actually put your hand out and touch it, you don't know that. Sunday, we went over to Faversham, planning a walk for a lady that I know who sort of said, look, my clients would love what you do. Set up a walk. And you stop and you put your hand on the ground and the ground's warm. You know, I haven't yet got to the point where I've got people to take their shoes off and have a wander about because I don't particularly... <laughs> it's a little bit risky, but taking your shoes off on the grass, onto earth, onto paving slabs, and they're warm. And you, you do see people actually, oh, it's, it's actually all right, isn't it? It's okay. And then you get from, from that touch thing and you get people who actually, I'm going to hug this tree. I don't mind. And not only then do they hug trees, but they're quite happy to be photographed hugging trees. And proud. And why not? So there is, I suppose, maybe you're teasing the answers out of me successfully, but maybe there is a sense of relief in people that actually what's out there isn't anywhere near as scary as, as you'd like to think it is. I suppose one example further, my wife, who bless her, loves what I do because she loves me, but isn't entirely convinced. Uh, and we've got a bee's nest under our pergola in our garden. We've got uh, red-tailed bumbles in and out the entire time. And even though she absolutely knows that they aren't interested in her at all, she can just about now sit there and let them fly around her and buzz uh, and actually enjoy that vitality. But there's still every single part, every part of her body is trained to say, these things are scary and they are going to sting me. So that's, that's, that's a major break. You know, if people can actually realise that, providing you're not silly, most of the things out there won't hurt you, they won't harm you, and they'll actually give you, you know, that sense of touching something that's actually warm and okay and nice is actually pretty cool. Um, so there is a visible sense of maybe it's not so bad. And I'll take that. And even wasps won't sting you if you don't flap them. But that's a different story again. Yeah, ask Simon a question. He'll go for hours. Well, no, it's amazing. And, and, the, and the great thing about the senses and, and if it, we've talked about this before but this, the sense of touch is two-way and it's the only sense that's two-way yes it is you know if you think about it you reach out to touch and you get hugged 
you get feedback you get you get that instant feedback that you can understand and and it's it's more tangible than the other senses it's it's yeah it's certainly more immediate I and mean, it's also the one that makes you take a jumper off or put it on it's the one that makes the hairs stand up so i think it's 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 quite a turnaround for me i was i was never a hugger my family didn't hug i rarely ever saw mum and dad show any emotion together you see the old peck here and there uh and me and my sister just weren't up brought up hugging and it's only the last few years since i've been with my wife and she in me year old the entire time go up and shake their hands go up and give them a hug and you're like yeah. Um, and yet, to a large extent, 80% of the time now, it's become second nature. I still have to watch the fact that it's, a, it's for me, it's a learnt behaviour rather than an innate one. I mean, it's it's learnt for all of us, it's just that I kind of had to wait a few tens of years before it became learnt. Whereas, I suppose the rest of... The rest of them are much more unconscious, I guess. I mean, we look, like I said in the beginning, you know, we do look, but we don't see. We hear, but we don't listen. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody, and it's possibly quite important, but your brain's somewhere else, and you haven't heard a thing, and then you get in trouble. I always get in trouble. And I've completely forgotten where the start of the question was. Ah, We were just talking about the senses, and... Talking about the different times of the year that you take people on the walks and the different energies that are involved with that. Absolutely. I mean, how many people won't go outside when it's raining? How many people won't go outside when it's cold? How many people just don't give themselves those opportunities? Back in the days when I was working, you'd rock up on a rainy day and they go, what are you doing here? It's raining. And I say, yeah, it is. That's what I got a coat for. You know, I'm a country boy. It's bad weather. Put the right coat on. It'll be fine. The first of the walks that we did was in January. And it was brilliant. So trees have still got bark on them. Um, the ground's a little bit slushy. Highland cattle were still out there. Still walking about, leaves were on the ground rather than on most trees. That's fine because we can still use leaves to work out which tree they came from. Mostly, if they're in that area, you need to be wrapped up, but you can still stop, stop and sit. You can still listen. You can still hear. You can still see. You get that damp smell in the woods, more so in the winter. There's more rotten vegetation or bark or whatever on the ground because it's sitting there wet and there's life inside that all year round and if for no other reason when you go out in the winter how amazing is it to come back in especially if you've got a nice log roaring fire going off I mean (laughs) one of the things that's changed as a result of the current past lockdown is that We've had to do all of the walks outside. That's the talking bit, the eating bit, and everything else. And the feedback I'm getting is, well, don't bother going back indoors. But by the same token, I think people in the winter will 
like going out so that they can come back in as well. And if we're both in a pub and we've got Sunday lunch, you know, it's lovely to go out, build up an appetite, experience the world around ourselves, come back and sit down around a table and have a roast dinner and have a chat with the people that you've just been out with. Whereas in the summer, we'll quite possibly stay out for the entire time, bring a picnic. It's great to set. Yeah, it's great to celebrate those different times of the years, you know, the harvest times, the, the different sort of cycles that we go through as well. Absolutely. I mean, I try and do it as subtly as possible. But we try and include in, in our activities the wheel of the year, which is, if you like, going back to kind of pagan Celtic traditions. Uh, but there's eight celebrations through the year. There's four fixed ones with the equinoxes and uh, the equinoxes and you know, the, the longest day, longest night. And then in between those, you've got another four things like uh, Beltane, beginning of May, which is where, if you like, spring and summer really start to kick in, which is an amazing celebration of, of life, of, of everything that is still to come. It's, an, you know, it's, it's just a fantastic time to get out and celebrate Lamas in August, where, if you like, we're starting to think really clearly about the harvests. And there are so many parallels between what they were originally, what they are now, and all of those still apply to a business life. The way that we ran our lives today, uh, it's just a case of paying a little bit of attention to the world that is around us just tuning into those cycles a little bit, not being afraid of the fact, I mean, looking at winter as a time for, to recharge rather than a time of scarcity. You know, that's just a, that's a mindset tweak. So, you know, yes, there, there's longer days, but all those things that you can't do in the summer because you would be outside collecting the harvest. You know, once you've brought in the harvest is a case of then preparing that harvest to get you across the winter. Uh, and those activities that you would do then, those you know, what what tasks that have you got that you can actually get sorted out because there is less daylight, and then realizing in the in the spring or in the winter, if you like, because everything starts coming back to life in the middle of winter. Funnily enough, in the you know in February you'll start to get snowdrops, which will lead into daffodils, wood anemones, uh, blackthorn blossom. Bluebells, may blossom, hawthorn, and the fact that you can actually, whereas we tend to think, oh, it's February, there's going to be some snowdrops out there, we should be going out and looking at the snowdrops and going, there's snowdrops on the ground, it must be February. You know, hawthorn, may blossom is 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 typical. It almost starts flowering on the first of May, colours off a bit pinky red toward and towards the end of May, and then the minute you get into June, there's none. It's gone. It's almost like the whole of that cycle is actually there outside for us. You know, we don't have to look at the calendar. We can look outside to work out the calendar. And if you, but even coming back from that, everything is cycles, you know, day into night, Sunday round to Sunday and the lunar cycle, you know, and that all changes. Uh, and those, those are huge. But even then, thinking about how they affect us, and the interesting thing with all of that is there's even science out there now which is starting to back up those rhythms for all of those nah, namby-pamby, tree-huggery that 
we tend to get. But everything is electricity. Everything is water. Everything is gravity. We know what the moon does to the sea. And we know we're 70% water. You know, even the science is bringing us back to those cycles. And if you take those cycles onto a more kind of mental, philosophical level, wherever you're at now is not where you're going to end up. However low it is now, you're going to go back up. And we need to remember that because you've been generally, wherever you've been, you've been there before. And when you look back, you remember you actually got through it and you survived. And remembering that those cycles go in, in what we like to call luck or bad luck or no luck or all the cliches that go around those things. And then realizing that actually a lot of these things we can actually take some responsibility for and start removing the luck out of it and making it planning. But even then, with the best will in the world, if you do anything with anybody outside or nature, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But it comes back to that mentality thing, which just maybe further proves and supports the fact that everything is linked together. We just need to remember we are part of everything that goes around us. And if we're actually isolating ourselves from that big outdoor world, all we're doing is removing ourselves from a large part of the things that we can actually use or improve or control to make those days that we've got on this planet the best and happiest that we possibly can. How's that? Bang on. <laughs> Absolutely spot on. I, I mean, I, I'm a big outdoors person, so you don't need to persuade me, but I'm hoping that someone out there will, will think to go on a walk, uh, whether it be a guided walk with you or just, just go out and get outside and notice things because there, as you say, there is so much to see, there's so much to listen, there's so much to, to touch. So yeah, absolutely. And and also the right at the beginning where you talked about the stillness, that gift of stillness is is magical. So yeah, turn off the phone, leave it at home and just get out on that walk. Um, mm. So Simon, how would people get in touch with you if they would like to go on a walk and and or talk to you more about what you do or even read your books? I'm all over social media, either under the banner of Simple Life or Simon Pollard. And Due to the fact that most of it was set up on a completely random ad hoc basis, there's you need to be using have you need to know about both because depending on which platform you go to, as depending on what your Facebook I've got both of them. I think Twitter's Simple Life. I think I've, I'm not sure I've sent you the link. Absolutely, they're all going to show notes. So it's, it's absolutely fine. So they can click there. We've just got SimonPollard.uk website should be launched and well established by the time that this goes live. SimpleLifeLimited.co.uk will still be out there. That's largely for the garden design side of things. But you know what? Just pick up the phone and give me a bell. I'm more than happy to spend a few minutes talking with anybody anywhere. If you're interested in the walks, Facebook, Awakening Walks and Talks has got three posts go out all every week. And there's usually a testimonial, a schedule, and something of interest. There's a video going out this Saturday. Uh, sparrows nesting in the box in, in my garden. Yeah, again, it's amazing when a little bit of life appears and I'm programmed. Now get a phone out, do a video. So those are there. I'm old fashioned. I like it waffling. I like phones. I think they're an awful lot better than texting and messaging. 
there's times when that's more appropriate. But uh, with my name or the business, you're going to struggle not to get hold of me if you want to. Perfect. So we have got a global audience. So anybody who's not in the UK, just look outside and, and see what your nature is and let Simon know what you're seeing differently, whether you've got chaffinches in your area or not. Yes. And you've also got your books as well, haven't you? I have. Yes. Good old shameless plug. The Irishman we all know and love. There are three books. They are fantastically wonderful and brilliant. I know that. I said it. I wrote them. The first one, The Three Year Pond, is a three-year period in life whereby pretty much, if you can imagine, it could go wrong, it went wrong. Just as a quick brief thing, uh, business collapsed because it had no foundations. I got taken to court. Um, my mother died. Marriage went down the tubes. Um, and I got quite seriously into debt. But you know what? I'm still here. I'm still kicking. I'm still making a noise. And life's an awful lot better than it was then. You've got the four keys, which I think we talked about just now. But that's basically the four keys you need to unlock to bring life into your garden. It's actually called unlocking the web as well. You know, life is a food chain. And if you put food out for and the right food out for the creatures that you want to bring in to make a really decent web, you can have a fantastic garden that is vibrant and full of life. And face it, how better to enrich your life than to bring life to it. And then the five senses, which we talked about hugely, and that's about the senses that we have that we use to interact with our world and get the best from it and understand it and spend our life amazed and staggered and just appreciating that world. And, you know, for all of that activity you bring in, you actually then ironically gain calm and, and a little bit of peace and a little bit of tranquility and stillness and hopefully by the time we've gone all through the that lot we've helped you have a slightly better life and I might have written the next book whatever it is by then needs to be six something if you've done a three and a four and a five I know I know well, the, next, the next the next one see the two booklets will be part of the next book but they will be in a revised and different structure but unfortunately calling them kind of like 4A and 4B or whatever it might be just kind of didn't work. So they are what they are, and I'll get my head around the semantics by the time that I get the next one written. You know, yeah, six is sitting there, but will it work? Does it have to work? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I'd just skip to eight and do the eight festivals of the year. That might work instead. Yes, that's a possibility as well. All good. Or, yeah, five, six, seven... Um, so tell me thank you so much for coming on the show today Simon it's been absolutely brilliant have you got a final message for the audience today I'm trying to think of one that hasn't been said a hundred times before you know they're all there it is one life live it but live it slowly even if that means slowing your brain down even if everything else that's around you hasn't slowed down I think that's one of the keys I know that, again, my wife and other people have sort of said, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. If you've got a slow brain, and I don't mean a slow brain, I mean a brain that's operating slowly because you've determined that's what you want, it actually means that dealing with all the rest of the chaos that is going on around you is a lot simpler, and you can then still be more efficient and you can still get more done. You're never going to be perfect, otherwise I would be. But... uh Slow your mind, deal with the rest of it at your pace. 
Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.